Well, good morning. I want to I thank our pastor for allowing the new guy to speak. It's a great leader who lets the new guy speak on Sunday and sends him to Cuba on Tuesday, right? It took me about six weeks of being married to lose my wedding ring. Some of you have met my wife, evidently. We... Uh, 26 years ago, I was a student pastor working at a church. They had a Christian school. During the summer, they did summer camps. And one of my responsibilities was to drive the bus, entertain third, fourth, and fifth graders. And on field trip day, we decided this particular day that we were going to go to Clearwater Beach and have some fun in the sun. And we did. And my job most of the day was throwing kids 20 feet into the air and, you know, letting them jump off my shoulders, playing Marco Polo. We had a ball. Great time. Around the time it was pretty close to getting time to leave, I, uh, I was in about thigh-deep water, put my hands in the water. My wedding ring was a little big for me, and it slipped off, and I immediately realized it. So I stopped bent down and started feeling in the sand for my ring, and I couldn't find it. My first thought was, oh God, help me, I need to be able to go home tonight. (laughs) I dropped to my knees and started the fanning of the sand, and I found a shell. That's not it, and I just kept doing that. It can't be too far from where I'm at. So I turned around and I was feeling all around and I couldn't find it. And I began to panic a little bit. So I dropped back under the water and I thought if I were on my knees underwater, I'd be able to cover a greater ground and I couldn't find it. I'm searching, I'm searching. While I'm underwater, a thought dawns on me. I pop my head up out of the water and it wasn't really thought through very well, but I shouted, everybody freeze. I thought, I've got 20 children here that could help me find my ring. So I yell, I've lost my wedding ring. If you find it, I'll give you $10. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen in the movies or on one of those animal channels, somebody that throws raw meat into piranha-infested waters. (laughs) But that's what happened. The churning of the water, and I realized instantly, I think I've lost my ring. So I stopped them, moved them away. I continue to try on my own. I can't find it. It's time for us to start moving off the beach to the bus. I send the kids in that direction, and I'm panicking. My last chance, and I'm just pulling up handfuls of sand and shells, and I can't find my ring. So I finally give up get the kids back to school, drive home, walk in the front doors of the house. I tell my wife, get your bathing suit on, we're going to the beach. (laughs) It was on the way to the beach that I explained to her what had happened. We spent about two hours on the beach that night before the sunset, each of us in in the water. Now, before I had left the beach that morning, I I decided I've got to figure out where in the water I am, right? So I was lining myself up with the pier, pillar, one, two, three, four, five, five pillars, right? And the lifeguard stand and the water tower. And this is about where I'm at, right about here, 20 yards offshore. 
Well, when I showed up three or two or three hours later, I'm standing in the water. I had not attributed for the tide that evidently moves every day. <laughs> and I'm standing there going, pillar, lifeguard, water tower. Oh, is it in or out? Should I be 20 yards that way or 20 yards this way? My wife is just, let's just look. So we spend a good hour, hour and a half. My wife finally gives up, sits on shore, explaining to me, it's okay, I'll let you live with me again, you know, come home, give up, give up. I'm a little bit competitive, so I can't give up, right? So I'm, I'm searching and searching and searching. The sun is going down. I'm about ready to give up. Last chance, no, no ring, shells, sand. And I begin to walk out of the water dejected, frustrated, asking God why this doesn't make any sense. I look to my right and a hundred yards down the beach is this guy with these giant headphones on and a metal detector. And he's in about thigh deep water coming this direction. I go sprinting down the beach. I tap him on the shoulder. He agrees to help me. We get back over. He goes, where was it? I said, well, I was right here with the pier, right here with the lifeguard thing. And about four hours ago, I was 20 yards offshore. He starts looking for me. It's one of the ones that goes underwater, which I thought was really cool. And this is it. This is my answer. Thank you, God. Help me. And he helped me for about 25 minutes. And the sun was down. And he couldn't help. And I began to understand and think to myself, I'm never going to get this ring back. And it doesn't make any sense. I began to tell God how good I was, thinking if he knew how good I was, he would help me find my ring, right? That's what we do. God, I'm a pastor. I've been playing with children all day, you know. This is what I'm, I'm a newlywed. I've done good things. God, help me find this ring, and I'm a good person. And we didn't find my ring that day. And you've been there, right? You've, you're a good person. I mean, you're in church, right, this morning. You're a good person. You pray. You give generously, like our pastor just said. You're a good person, and yet... You still have those things that happen in your life too that just don't make any sense. I begin to understand as I get older that sometimes things just don't work out. They don't end well. And I don't like it. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning for such an inspiring message by Eeyore, right? (laughs) You've been there. But yours is a little bit more important than a wedding ring, which you could buy another one of. You've struggled. There are things in your life that don't make sense. You've been at that place. Your job that you're in right now is not the job you really want or plan for, but the one that you need, the one that you want, the one that you were trained for and spent so much time working in, that job's not available to you right now. And you're like, what in the world is going on? God, I just asked the question, why? It doesn't make any sense. Or the promotion, maybe you were up for the promotion, right? And everybody in your department knew you're the next one. And we can't wait for that to come down. The day it comes down, they call somebody else's name, and that person gets promoted into the position that you were supposed to have. And you go home that night with your head in your hands thinking, whoa, what was that all about? God, what are you doing? Why? Doesn't make any sense. Or... The girl that you liked finally said yes to him, not you, right? And you would be perfect for her, right? 
She would be, oh, it would be great. This doesn't make any sense. Why him and not you? And there we are again with, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. Or for a lot of us who have adult children, we've been praying for a long time that they would change their lifestyle or change their way. Right? We don't understand why all the things that we've taught them, all the things that we want for them are the best things, but yet they continue to go their way. And we don't understand. And we wonder, when will that ever end? And it doesn't look like it's gonna. It just keeps going on. Or you're a college student and you filled out application for these two schools were the schools you wanted to go to, right? And they didn't send you back a, we're happy you're coming to our school letter. And now what are you going to do? It doesn't make any sense because they had those majors and it was going to work out. And two of your friends who have worse math scores than you do got in. Now what are you going to do? Or there's been a tragedy, right? Those are really hard to understand and put ourselves in the place and try to figure out, God, what are you doing in this situation? The word cancer shows up and it's a child and you're like, that doesn't make sense to anybody, does it? And we've all been there. You might be there right now. And we wonder what in the world is God doing? Does he understand? Help me to understand. Even if I understood, it might make it easier. But sometimes God just doesn't make any sense. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time in your life, you probably could call out in any given time somebody in Scripture that it worked out for. It was a struggle, but then God came through. Ta da da da! Thank you, God, and it worked out well for. Right? One of my favorites is, is Elijah, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with that story, it was basically Elijah was the prophet of God, and he was against the, the prophets, plural, several hundred prophets of the God Baal, and they were the, my God's bigger than your God, my God's bigger than your God thing going on. And they decided then that let's have a competition to see whose God really is real. And so Elijah said, you go first. And the idea was to create a bonfire, and the God that was real would light the bonfire. And you remember the story, the prophets of Baal built their altar, they got it ready, and they started crying out to God, God, their God, Baal, help us, please, light this fire, we believe in you. And over and over, and actually a long period of time goes by, and Elijah, I love Elijah, because he's sitting back going, Uh, Hey, why don't you yell louder? Because your God's probably on vacation. He needs to hear you, right? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Yell louder. And they're going crazy, screaming, hollering, cutting themselves, trying to draw attention to their God, and it just didn't make any sense. And finally, Elijah had enough of that. You remember this story. He said, build the altar again. Put it back up there. Let's put our sacrifice animal on top. Pour 12 barrels of water on top so that it fills the trench that we built around it. Now, Elijah, I don't know if you understand, we're in the desert, 12 barrels of water is very important, right? And this is not how you light a fire, right? So they do that, Elijah steps back, I love this, because this is where you and I live a lot of times. Elijah steps back and he goes, are you ready? God, would you show them that you're the God of Israel and the creator of all things, boom, fire from heaven, The Bible says it was so hot it consumed the rocks, the altar, the sacrifice, all the water was gone. And Elijah goes, see, I told you so. And that's how we want God to respond to us all the time. We ask God the things that we struggle with. And we want God at the end of our amen, we're waiting for God to show up. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. 
So what do we do in those times? Now, today, here's what I want to do. I want to share with you somebody from the New Testament that it didn't end well for. And this is a really, really important story for us because you and I can relate to this. And in fact, several times I've thought through these issues. This is what happens. When I face something in life, sometimes I go, was there anybody ever in the Bible who faced this particular thing that I'm facing? And can I learn from them? And that's where this has come from. So I want us to look at somebody today in the book of Matthew. If you're in the book of Matthew, you probably should already know that because we've been in the book of Matthew for 17 years, it feels like now, okay? Matthew chapter 14, flip in your Bible if you're there. If you're going to thumb with your phone, get there because we're going to take off and do the first 12 verses of Matthew. Here's what verse 1 says. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports of Jesus. Now let me explain this real quick because I got to tell you the story before the story which is a preacher's talk for this is going to be a long one, okay? Um, this, at that time, is what was going on is Jesus is now in full ministry. Everything's going well for him. His popularity is rising. He's teaching, and people are going, oh my goodness, I've never heard that before. This is awesome. You can do that? This is, that's completely opposite. And they're just listening to his teaching. He's also healing people left and right. And they're getting healed and his popularity is growing. So when the Bible says at that time, that's what was going on. Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports of Jesus. Okay? Now, Herod the Tetrarch is who I need to explain to you this morning. Herod the Tetrarch, we have a little slide here for you to kind of help bring you a little bit of history into all of this. Herod the Great is not this Herod that we're going to talk about in just a minute. The Herod that we're talking about is Herod Antipas. Now, Herod the Great, whose silhouette reminds us of Abraham Lincoln. Isn't that amazing how God does that? Um, Herod the Great is called Herod the Great not because he was a great man. In fact, he was a very evil man. He was... He was a bad, awful dude, right? He was called Herod the Great because he was a great builder. He built cities. He built wonderful things. And Herod the Great was so, he was so bad. He had a bunch of wives, and he had two of his wives murdered. He had a bunch of sons from all of those wives. He had three of his sons put to death. He had one of his mother-in-laws killed. And I guess if you have a bunch of mother-in-laws, the way to keep the other ones in line is just kind of take out one, right? Everybody else obeys at Thanksgiving time, right? He was a bad guy. Herod the Great is the guy that in the Christmas story ordered the death of all of the children in Bethlehem. You remember that story? That was Herod the Great. He was, he was in fear of his throne. Caesar, his boss in Rome, said this, quoted, he said, it would be better to be one of Herod's swine than to be one of his sons. Herod the Great was a bad dude. He said, when he learned that he was about to die, he said, would you, told his soldiers, round up all the leading citizens in Galilee. And I want you to take them down to Jericho and I want you to put them in prison. And here's what I want you to do. On the day that I die, I want you to execute the leading citizens of Galilee. Because on the day that I die, I want somebody to be crying because he knew that when he died, there was going to be a street party. Right, And the day that he died, of course, they let the prisoners go and there was a huge party and celebration. But that's Herod the Great. When he died, Rome decided they're going to split his kingdom up and give it to two of his sons. Now, Herod Archelaus on your far left there, he got the southern part of the kingdom, okay? 
And Herod Antipas got Galilee, the northern part. And Galilee's the area where Jesus hung out and did a lot of his ministry. So Herod Antipas is the guy, the tetriarch that we read in verse 1. When Herod heard the reports of Jesus. Now, there was another brother in the story, Herod Philip. And he plays into this role. He didn't get any land to take care of. He was just able to be called, I'm Herod the Great Son. His wife was Herodias. And if you've noticed a pattern, Herod the Great was so crazy, he named every one of his kids Herod. And even if you're a woman, you don't get out of getting the name Herod, right? Herodias marries Philip. Now, Herodias, this is, Herodias was the daughter of another son. So, Philip actually married one of his nieces, to which you and I go, ooh, they don't even do that in the South. <laughs> they have a daughter named Salome, and they're living and doing all their deals. And one day, Herod Antipas decides he's going to go visit his brother, Philip. And so he leaves and goes on a journey. He's spending time in the palace of Philip while he's there. And while he's there, doggone it, if this didn't happen, he decides, Herodias, you got it going on, girl. And he evidently tells her, I think I love you. To which he says, she says, you're the king of Galilee? It's amazing. I love you too. This is in the Bible. You should read your Bible, folks, okay? That's why we tell you over and over. It's a great story. So he convinces her to leave Philip. He, she divorces Philip and marries Antipas. And she and Salome move to Galilee, where she's now queen of Galilee. Isn't that pleasant? And at the time, in Galilee, there's a very famous preacher and he's kind of a crazy guy. He's kind of popular. Dresses in weird clothes. He eats bugs and honey. John the Baptist is on the scene. And John's preaching. And John, John has one message every time he preaches. And that is, I know we haven't heard from God for 400 years. But listen to me now. The Messiah is about to show up. So whatever you're doing wrong, stop it. Thank you. We'll see you next Sunday. They go out, to the, out into the wilderness where he lives, and they find him, and they say, teach us, and he teaches them. Here's what you need to do if your neighbor's being bad, if your neighbor's doing this, if you have a fight here, you, you just have to do the right thing. You don't want the Messiah to show up, and you're not doing the right thing. So stop it. Do the right thing. And over and over and over again, that's John's message. And then the new queen shows up in the land. And she's married to her ex-husband's brother, and John doesn't think that's right. And so John thinks, hey, if that's wrong, that's one of the things people should stop doing before the Messiah shows up. So he begins to use Herod and Herodias as the illustration to most of his sermons. Stop doing what you're doing. If Listen, if your neighbor has cheated you, you need to work that out. If you need to ask for forgiveness, and if you're married to your brother's wife, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, everybody knew who he was talking about. And in fact, there were times when Herodias, I would think, would be out in public. Hey, take the chariot ride down. Let me soak my feet in the river. And while she's down there, there's a crowd gathered. Hey, what's that? Take me over there. Let's go see what's going on. And there's a people gathered around John, and he's preaching that the Messiah is coming. You've got to change your way. Stop doing the bad thing. And you shouldn't be married, right, to your brother. You shouldn't have divorced your husband to marry his brother. That's not right. So now the queen, who has a little bit of power, doesn't like that. 
She's not amused at all, and she decides to talk her husband into having Herod arrest John. She actually wanted him dead, but Herod didn't do that. Here's what happens in verse 3 of 14. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias. Get this, what Matthew says. Because of his brother Philip's wife. Even even uh, Matthew is telling us again what the sin is, what the wrong is. For John had been saying that he, it is not lawful for you to have her as your wife. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. So instead of killing him, he decides to put him in prison. He doesn't want to kill John because everybody likes John and he's afraid that people are going to revolt. So he puts him in prison. Also, Mark's gospel tells us that Herod liked to hear John speak. And he would call John up. He'd tell the soldiers, hey, go get John out of the dungeon and bring him up here. And they'd bring John up, and he'd say, hey, John, preach to me. And he listened to John. He kind of liked John. He kind of weird, kind of got this weird thing going on. Tell me about that, blah, blah, blah. And I imagine John would go, and the example of this, Herod, I've said it a hundred times. You shouldn't be married to your brother's wife. Great, John, take him back to prison. So he's afraid, doesn't want the uprising. And listen, John's a good guy, Right? John's a great guy. John has a very, very famous cousin. Who's John's cousin? Good. Hey, there's more of you that have been in Sunday school this service than last service. Good. Jesus is the cousin of John the Baptist. John's a preacher. John's an amazing guy doing what God asked him to do. And he doesn't get an answer from Jesus. He's in prison. How is that? Jesus, help me with this. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. How does that work out? How does this happen? And here's what Jesus says a couple chapters earlier while John is in prison. 11.11 says this. Check this out. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Time out. There's no one on the earth greater than John the Baptist, right? Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, that's just about everybody, right? Of those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than him. Jesus, you're telling me that you know that John is in prison, and you're telling us that he's the greatest guy ever. He's there rotting away. Are you aware of that? You're not doing anything about that. He's trying to figure out what you're doing. Yeah. See, John had sent people to talk to Jesus. John's in jail, and he sends some friends to go talk to Jesus. He asked Jesus, I've been preaching that you're the one. That's, have I been doing the right thing? But I think he sends his followers ahead of time to start the conversation. We don't have this recorded. This is my interpretation. They go, hey, Jesus, can we interrupt you a second? Your cousin John who's in prison, still wants to know, are you the one? The greatest man on the planet doesn't get an understanding of what he's going through. Jesus just says he's the greatest man ever. Check out, this is what he says to him. Look at the next verses here. Here's what happens in the story. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest, his guests, and pleased Herod so much that he promised an oath to give her whatever she asked for. 
prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Next slide. And the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that the request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought to him on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus, to which you and I go, well, wait, huh? Help me figure this out. There's a king who's had way too much to drink at a birthday party. He's had way too much to eat. He's amongst some people. He's got some insecurities. His wife, the queen, sends her daughter, 12 or 13 years old, to come in and dance before the king. It was not the waltz, okay? Somebody taught this young lady how to dance so that the king would give her whatever she wanted. And she dances, and this king makes a terrible, terrible decision. He was distressed because he realized what he had done. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus knew John was in the dungeon, and yet he loses. Is this the end of the story? And the fact is, it is the end of John's story. We don't hear about John again in the Bible or anything that he went through, except for people in the book of Acts who refer back to what John did. He baptized Jesus. He was the the one to come ahead and say the Messiah is coming. But we don't hear anything else about John the Baptist. It doesn't, listen, you've got to agree, it didn't end well for John. And John never got the reasoning behind it of why am I doing this? But I think Jesus had something else to say. In fact, when, his deci- when John's followers went to see John in, or Jesus with this message, there's something else that Jesus said. In chapter 11, verse 6, here's what Jesus says. I want you to go back and tell John this particular thing. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. To which you and I go... All right, great. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? Jesus says, no, listen, I know John's in prison. Here's the message I want you to give him. You tell him, blessed by God is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed by God. God's paying attention. He knows and is aware even though you don't know what you're going through right now. Even though you're in the dungeon, even though you're in prison, even though your children don't answer the phone, even because you don't understand that disease and what the effects are of it, blessed is the person. In fact, this is interesting. Jesus didn't say, go back and tell John, John, you, John, you will be blessed. Blessed by God is anyone. Guess who you are? You can say it. Yeah. Jesus is talking to you and I as well, not just John. Otherwise, he'd have said, John is blessed. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble away, who does not lose faith, who does not give up, who does not walk away, even though you don't understand what God is doing. The interesting thing here, on account of me. Well, wait, 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 wait. On account of me, Jesus John is in prison, and you know it, and you're not going to break him out. You're not going to go save the day. You're aware on account of Jesus. You're telling me that God may do or allow some things in our life that would cause us to stumble away? Yes. 
But Jesus said, you're blessed if you remain faithful and do not give up. Do not give up. John, the greatest guy in the world, doesn't get his prayers answered. And I feel a lot like that every now and then. That's who I feel like I am. Jesus, I don't understand. And again, more than just a lost ring, but for loved ones, for people of the world. You ever watch the TV and you think to yourself, what in the world is going on? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble away on account of me. Now, if you're like me, you're one of those A-type personalities, and you've got to have all your blanks filled out, get your pen ready, because here we go. First one, God is capable of rescuing us from suffering, but he may also allow suffering to come for reasons that you and I cannot understand. It's because we can't understand God. He's that big. So what do we do when we don't, God doesn't make sense and we don't understand? Let me give you a couple things here. Number one. Remember that God is God and you're not. I had a friend tell me a couple years ago, Tim, there is a God and you're not him. And that was a new revelation for me that day. (laughs) When things don't make sense, we need to remember that God is still God. He's far above what we can understand. He knows what he's doing. He's He's just unbelievably omniscient. And we're not. We need to trust in God's character. Trust in his character. Faithful, loving, patient. He's just. That's who God is. So when things don't make sense, remember that God is still God. Number two, choose to trust that God is in control. Choose to trust that he is in control. Because you can choose not to trust that God is in control. And that causes tension and lack of peace. We need to choose. God's silence does not mean that he is absent. Andy Stanley said that, and I love that. Just because God is silent does not mean that he is absent. So remember, choose to trust. Number three, look back at God's past faithfulness to you. When you're going through something that you don't understand, you need to look back. We need to look back at God's past faithfulness to us. How has God come through for you in the past? When did you pray and God answered a prayer for you? How did you get to where you're at right now? You got there because of God's faithfulness to you. And now when we don't understand, some of us go, God must not care. He must not know. When we're going through that, we need to remember that God has come through in the past. And then number four, we need to look outside our current circumstances at the activity of God around us. When you're going through one of those situations, you've got to get look outside your own little sphere. John's in prison and he can't see outside the prison walls. He can't see what's going on. And he wants to know, God, do you still know that I'm here? We need to look outside our current circumstances at what God is doing around us. That could be in your church, whether it's this church or your church. In an organization, what is God doing? Maybe it's on a mission trip. We need to get outside of our culture and find out what God is doing in other places. But we need to look outside our current circumstances and see what God is doing 
around us. Now, I don't know if you do this or not. I try to apply these things to my life. And this week, as I worked through this, I thought to myself, that's the one that I got to work on. Because when things don't make sense, when I shout out, God, please give me understanding. This is the one that I have trouble with. What is it for you? Which one of those is it for you? And will you try this week or the next time, or even as you're struggling through not understanding what God is going through and doing in your life, will you choose that this is the one that I'm going to trust in, the principle that I'm going to trust in one last time? What are you going to do? What do you do if God never says yes? What are you going to do if God never gives you the reason why? If things never change and your prayer never gets answered? The question is, will you remain faithful? Blessed is anyone, you, me, who does not stumble away on account of me. There are things in this world that we just don't understand. And we got to let God be God. We got to trust in his character. We got to look at the past and find out he's been faithful to us in the past. And we got to look outside our circumstances to the things that God really is doing. Will you stand and we'll pray? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. These are people that are be willing to pray for you. If you're one of those people that are struggling through something right now, you're like, yeah, there's something I don't understand and I'm not getting an answer for. And I just need somebody to support me in prayer. That's what our prayer partners are for. Maybe you're here today and you haven't stepped across the line of faith ever. And it's because of a situation where God didn't make sense to you. I don't understand this God thing. Maybe today would be the day that you'd step across that line. And you could come forward and you could talk with one of them. They'd be more than happy to pray with you through that. Let me pray and we'll go. Father, we're grateful for all that you do for us. Thank you for preserving this message for over 2,000 years that we today can rest on it. We can learn from it. Help us, Lord, to remain faithful this week. The next time the bottom falls out, the next time we don't understand when things just don't make sense, help us to remain faithful because your promise has said we will be blessed if we do. Thank you for being our God and for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.